Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. Now, if you're thinking about conferences, they're pretty much the same across any industry, um, across any country, anywhere throughout the world. But I wanted to bring on Esports Bar today because I really think they do it differently. There's been a lot of copy and paste esports conferences in Australia around the world. While some of them are fantastic to go to, others just really seem like a copy of the one that's happened just before. So I had to bring on Deborah and Mariah from Esports Bar to have a bit of a chat about how they do things a bit differently. We also had a good talk at the end about women in esports and I talk about some of my um, personal troubles that I've had you know you see a lot of people saying hey we need to do better and I agree but the questions I ask him is is how you know for me as someone sitting in this industry how can I make sure that I'm able to uplift more women to come in we talk about you can't be what you can't see we talk about um, diversity not just through gender but also uh, race ethnicity on panels um, coming into the industry and more and one last thing to mention quickly um, just because it happens so much much any of you uh, who are working at home over these times of the coronavirus we did have some technical difficulties happening uh, primarily at the start of the episode so hopefully you can bear with us as some people disconnect and reconnect but ultimately i think the conversation is one that's worth listening to so i hope you enjoy maria deborah we're live how are you hi how are you good 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 to have you both on. Um, as always with coronavirus and people in multiple different time zones, technical difficulties, but we made it and we're live. Um, and we got we got a lot to talk about today. And obviously, you both are, are rested up since since the last esports bar conference went off. So, I'd love to, I guess, start off with a little bit of introduction um, into into you both and um, you know your history in the, in the esports space. We got a lot to talk about today. So yeah, let, let me know a little bit more about yourselves. Okay, so I'll start. Uh, I'm Deborah. I'm head of marketing and uh, content at Sports Bar. I just joined the team, actually, so I can't say really that I have a history on sports <laughs> because I joined the, the team on March this year. So when everything starts to get blurry in the industry of events, <laughs> but it's been a, quite a good adventure for myself. Uh, but before I, I used to work at the with medium already in other in another division with other events and marketing as well so i have a background in marketing for more than 20 years so actually sports just came to reinforce this background because it's a new industry that i'm really keen of so it's been uh, quite a journey yes we might have so, lost. Um, no, we got ourselves. my turn yes Uh, looks like we might have lost her again. Oh, I lost Marie again. It's all it's all part of it's all part of the fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really so, used to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially with your conference, right? So, so obviously, you know, you guys run um, multiple conferences a year. In the past, they've all been in person, but seeing as you started in March, I feel like March is basically when coronavirus kicked off <laughs> globally. Yeah. So, yeah. let us let us know a little bit about, I guess, your your response to that. Like, like, how did it work? So we were fortunate actually, actually because our main conferences, they happen normally in a normal time environment. They happen always on February and in September or October. So we have in Cannes in February and Miami we used to have in uh, October. So we fortunately, we, uh, we had our physical event this year. It was actually the last one that I heard of. 
And then we had to move to a digital environment, which was not simple because we are really, really, really good on doing physical events. This is our expertise. We really master this domain. But and doing change the event itself for a digital environment it was really quite a learning for us because uh, it's not something that we are used to do it and it's not that simple. It's not just transferring your physical event to a digital environment. You have to think a lot of things. It has to be more like a TV show or a series, and you have to keep people engaged all the time. It was like four days. So the challenge for us was really how we keep our clients engaged and interested in this content uh, four days in a row because they are not all together. They are at their homes and doing other things and working and they have different schedules and people from all over the world. So it was really quite a challenge for us. But I guess uh, after all, we could manage to do new things. We innovated a lot. So we we partner with a different platform, a broadcasting platform that is called Easy Live, which for us was great because it's a really good platform. And with that platform, we achieved to to do things in a more smooth way and uh, keep people live streaming, keep our panelists and a conference alive and with a good content all over uh, of the four days. Uh, but it was pretty, it's a learning, we are still learning because now we have more than ever, I don't know how it's going to be from now until next year or the year after that. So it's just uh, keep learning, keeping improving and maybe master the digital environment for events itself as well. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's that's one thing I didn't think of, right? So obviously you guys run a, you run a conference and generally you will see, you know, with coronavirus, there's a lot of webinars online and once-offs, people talking for an hour or so, but that's a good point. I mean, you've got multiple days. You've got to keep people entertained over that period of time. Did you see a massive drop-off from talk number one to talk number six or seven throughout the day? Were you able to, to keep people on? Actually, we had a good uh, average for uh, every session. Uh, we, we noticed that actually the sessions that were late in the night because uh, we ran everything from Paris and the event was scheduled in the time zone of the US. So we saw that in the last sessions, the late sessions in Paris time or Europe time, uh, they, they tend to drop down a bit. But uh, And we saw really people that come in log off, log in, log off because they are doing something else. But in average, we achieve a really good uh, viewers of all, all, all the sessions, actually. Yeah, okay. That's pretty interesting. So, yeah. I mean, you achieved you achieved your goal, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, it was... Well, this is this is part of uh, what we have to do. Even even if you are in a physical event, we have to keep people interested because people can uh, sit on their seats and watch a bit and they can go out. So it's really regarding the content. It is going to be interested if they are going to learn something new. And this is what we constantly think about when we are putting up our event when we are putting up our topics and everything that is going to be discussed and finding the right people to talk about because you can have like experts in the market but when they come up on the screen they are not so good talking about it but they are experts so you have to animate you have to have a good mix of everybody in the scene so it can keep interested for everybody. Yeah, that's true. And I guess, you know, like for anyone who's watching live right now on LinkedIn or, or Twitch, the kind of thing that 
the I guess the tagline that I wanted to lead this this chat with is that esports bar does it different. You know, I, I feel like conferences in any industry, whether you're in dentistry, you know, home goods or esports or gaming or even sports technology, which I've spoken at before, they're all pretty much the same. They've all got panels. They've got fireside chats with senior top level executives. They've got, um, you know, keynote speeches from a, from a couple of top people as well, but essentially they're all the same. You know, it's a mixture of networking. Maybe there's dinner or drinks thrown in obviously harder when it's coronavirus, but, but you guys do it quite differently compared to others. You know, you've got a lot of offers that I see not only for me as a speaker um, entice me much more to speak there due to the caliber of people that attend. But the other thing that I noticed that, that you guys have more than anyone else is the amount of actually endemic esports people attending your events. Cause usually mm-hmm. what I'll see is, you know, if I'm speaking at a sports tech conference or even an esports conference, it'll be like me and, you know, maybe three or four other people speaking from esports, but zero in the crowd. It's all aimed at non-endemic, only outside people. I'd love to learn from you and, and, you know, for the audience to learn about it, especially is just what are some of these things that you do differently compared to the other conferences? I guess one of the things that is different from us that uh, since of the beginning of the event, we chose a really good advisory board that the, the people that come from the industry that are endemic, so they help us a lot on the construction and uh, building the event itself. Uh, another thing for us was really we did a lot of research, we studied a lot of our competitors and the industry and the needs of our clients, and we discovered actually that the importance it was to do the networking. The conferences and the sessions, they are important, but since information you can find anywhere nowadays and everywhere mostly so it's really hard to to pick up uh, interesting topics that uh, people are going to really learn about with it uh, so with uh, the advisory board they they come to help us on that so they are people from the industry they know the discussions that are happening and we research and we talk to our clients a lot as well so i guess this relationship with clients for us is really important is our key assets and this is something that we don't want to lose so all the planning of the event before the event we keep talking we keep asking feedbacks from our clients uh, prospects and our advisory everything that everyone that is in the industry and what they expect us to do it so this for us is important to have this client uh, focus view for us is really important and also i guess what differentiated us from other events is the networking part so we managed to have have a really really good sales teams that are really inside of the market and they are talking to people all day long uh, 24 7 all year long and they achieve to bring those people that are really c-level people that want to meet other people because they are interested in keep the sports industry growing so for us, this networking part is really, really important as well. And I don't know, Maria, just starting now, maybe she can add something to this point because yeah, she's the, the head of uh, networking and VAP. So <laughs> this is a really our part. We really value to have this kind of uh, all the value chain. We call it a value chain of the sports industry. We value to have all of these people in our events. For us, it's really important to have everyone. Yeah, so Marie, I'd love for you to give a little bit of intro, you know, about yourself and and what you do with Esports Bar. Yeah, sorry about that. I had some technical problems here. Um, (laughs) uh, So, yeah, so I'm head of sales and uh, brand expansion of Esports Bar events, Esports Bar Canon Miami. 
And uh, I, I heard your first question about uh, what sets us apart. So thanks for that. Thanks for considering us uh, also here today. Um, I think that the, the main reason is that since it's launched back in 2017, every brick of eSports bar was thought to work in the long run. And the only way you can achieve this is by putting your communities first and tailoring all the experience around them. That's a fact. Back in 2017, I don't know if you remember, Chris, we didn't have that much B2B conventions and networking events in the esports space. Mm. So rather than launching a traditional convention full of booths and conferences, we decided to ask the community what was needed. And we then really quickly realized that our ability in connecting people, in doing matchmaking events, was something that could create value for esports companies and newcomers willing to expand more and take projects to the next level. So yes, our ability to connect people and this combined with great content, speakers and nice places is what uh, creates a unique experience from the moment you attend the event, from breakfast to dinner, and uh, it's we create this family around, and people really feel comfortable whenever they come. So I, I, yeah. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess what I what I get a lot from that is it's is high effort, high reward, right? Where yeah. like so many other conferences, I think that want to come into esports really are low effort, but they expect high reward, which is which is hard, and it, it goes for. It goes for anything, but anything, especially in esports and gaming. Like we've all seen a logo slap from a brand that hasn't gone very well because they've just tried to say, "Hey, we're esports because we sponsor something." But you know, it's yeah. it's hard, and you need to you need to put in that extra effort. Um, and you know, even using Australia as an example, I don't think there's been a successful esports conference specifically in Australia since around 2018. And we've had at least two or three cancels since then because they've all they've all been the same. They've been, you know, the same single keynote speaker. You know, they've had a panel that talks about what is esports. They have a panel that talks about women in esports. Um, yeah. You know, and then a couple of others about brands and then investment, and that's it. And it's like, well, who's who's your target audience then? And I think um, an interesting thing for me with esports bar, like I said, is is I feel like not only do you have a lot of top level, you know, executives and people who make money decisions from traditional brands like Dom and, and others coming to your conference, but you seem to have a lot of endemic esports people coming as well. You've got a lot of team owners, you've got a lot of agency owners, and and people like that too. So how do you um, how do you find that balance? Like who is your target audience, and how do you identify that? Would you like to start, Devar? Yes. Well, uh, I guess as I mentioned before, I guess for us our target is uh, well, we do a lot of research of the industry are trying to always uh, stay connected to what's going on and what's happening in the industry, what is trending. And for us, I guess it's really important to do this research and to know who are the good people that are going to bring the good things to the table. Uh, so I guess uh, this is the main, the main thing. Uh, how we do it? Well, 
as I mentioned before, we talk to a lot of people. Our main, our the main part of our jobs is like relationship. So we are relationship brokers. We go after people. We know what is trending. We go after those people. We talk to those people. Ah, uh, what you are looking for? What you are uh, aiming for? And how we can help you to achieve this goal? So uh, uh, really, our whole role as an event uh, organizer is not only organize the event, but is uh, do this thing as Maria mentioned to this to do this role of relationship broker so it's really really we achieve that on on doing the relationship with people from the endemics that we see that is popping up and we do a lot of research we are always connecting all things and deals that are happening on the market and I, I can add to that that, uh, you know, Read Exhibitions and Read Medem has a huge network. And actually, when we decided to launch Esports Bar, we wanted to serve the community, the esports community and bring to the table all those contacts that we already have. So when it comes to the audience, we're actually quite large and it's getting larger, but we definitely look into the value chain, right? Because we really want to keep this in mind also for newcomers. And it's something that can be tricky also for the industry. So we definitely need to keep in mind that we have the whole spectrum, so the value chain, but then we have newcomers and how to integrate them into the ecosystem. And there's a lot of research to do and it, when it comes to connections. And that's why we get these conversations with people, get feedback before launching any initiative at Esports Bar. But we also use our own network, our big network in the gaming industry because we also, the group organizes the PAX events and Comic-Con events. And we also mm -hmm. have our B2B network on the media industry, MIPCOM, MIPTV, and the music industry with Medium. So this gets the whole group and, and esports are very strong when it comes to relations and uh, trends, right, to put in the table. So is, is this a similar formula that happens at other raid events? Is it, is it not just the esports one? No. Well, it, it is. It is in some kinds of ways. Well, we are. We have a business model per se, but it's not the same for a sports bar because the sports community has other needs. So it's really we adapt this business uh, model that we have at Read Media to the targets and the markets that we are in. Mm. We, 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 we have made some research across our different business units and what comes out is that there's a strong need in getting the right connections. Whenever you come to an event, and this is something that you might probably experience before, Chris, you have struggles to meet with the right people. And that's a fact. Okay, so you really need, there's a strong need of return on investment and this is... Um, and th yeah, and this is measured by the amount of good contacts that you do before the event and how you connect with them even after the event, right? And this mm. is what we, we, we bring to the ecosystem. We, we bring programs, dedicated programs that last two days and a half, but goes beyond esports bar through the whole year. Mm. Yeah, for like almost like forced networking. It's, it's so hard, right? Like, how do you get, how do you get people to actually talk to each other? Because I like putting my course, 
<laughs> and like putting my Corsair hat on, you know, when it works there, the last thing I want as a brand rep is just having 500 teams coming to me saying, sponsor me, please, sponsor me, please, sponsor me, please. Cause I, I get that in emails enough. Right. So that's, that's the other hard thing too. And I, I go through this in a, in a different realm. So we, I, I own and operate an esports group called Oceania esports and gaming business. So originally I created it because I was sick of, you know, doing all the research myself. I was hoping that I could share info in there. Other people could share info. And like my LinkedIn, you know, when I need a contact, I can reach out and someone can help me to find the right person in there. But we've had this discussion a lot, which is, um, do you gatekeep? Do you say, no, this person shouldn't be allowed to join because they're only 15 and they won't have the same, you know, potentially high level discussion that someone like me and the managing director of ESL will, or is it fair that, that I keep those people out? And I go through that same balance all the time with you guys too. So I'd, I'd be really interested in hearing, like Fine. if you've got the head of marketing of Domino's coming to your conference, are they going, you know, please, please, Mary and Deborah, don't make me talk to 700 people asking me for free money. Like, how do you, how do you go about that? you need to have these discussions beforehand. That's super important. Every person who comes to our event has this discussion over the phone or in person with the, the sales team or the marketing team. Because it's not because you are the head of marketing of Domino's that you can fit to the to the VIP arena, right? Maybe at this point, you only want to emerge yourself and look for conferences. So we really tailor the experience for everyone. We want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable with whatever they take. Okay, so this is super important. And this is what uh, we are doing and uh, we will keep definitely for new formats and projects that we will be launching. Mm, mm. And that it's not easy sense. actually to say no to people. It's not easy to say no to people, but they realize that it's the good and the right way and they come back. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And saying no is hard. I mean, I've, you know, for, for like the way my LinkedIn works now, yeah. I, I have a VA that goes through my, um, you know, goes and triages my messages that come in because it does happen quite a lot, you know. I, I hate to not reply to someone who says, Hey, Chris, can you help me to understand how to get a job into esports? Or I'd like to make a, you know, a high school esports team or a league or, you know, how do I first, you know, do something in the market? Like I don't want to ever stop. But what I found is that, um, you know, especially 2018, 2019, I was just spending so much, not even so much time, but so much brain power on just having coffee catch up meetings that never go for 15 minutes. Like, like they're supposed to, they always go for an hour because it takes 15 minutes just to introduce yourself and understand who each other are. And I always have struggled for a while with, with that balance, but now you just have to take a bit more of that hard line. I think when you want to actually get work done, <laughs> because I had this discussion yeah. with my VP of, of, of sales where he was like, Chris, you're not getting anything done. All you're doing is meeting people and just, just talking like you need to do some work as well. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but I think is a uh, is uh, something that you build in the long term as well. As Maria said, uh, uh, it's something sports bar is not a one thing uh, time in your agenda, and the event is built to to be a construction in your career as well. And that's what you prioritize. Well, if you're a brand that is coming into sports right now, maybe you won't be taking a much advantage of participating in VIP in the first time. But if you learn uh, in the first time, you come back in a second time, then you can have some more interesting discussions. So it's really uh, our events at uh, Sports Bar, we, 
and we try to do it in a long-term way. So the first time, maybe you take advantage of some kinds of things that we are providing to you. And in the second time, you take advantage of a lot more. And you can do contacts in the first time, and then you can enhance uh, this meeting. So it's really a long-term uh, construction. It's uh, like finding a job. You can just expect sending a CV and getting hired in the first time. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's, it may that's happen. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, and I feel like... Um, quick win. And, and like... Quick. Yeah. Yep. No, sorry, I was just going to. It's like quick, quick, quick win never works. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and I feel like um, you know, like a little bit of a tangent as well is that you know, talking to both of you with with the standing that esports bar has in the market and how much knowledge you have. It's, it's a good case study because I know a lot of people listen to this podcast who aren't in esports or gaming and use this as a, as a way just to gather information and to keep up with the scene and what's going on. And I think the case study of, of Maria and Deborah is is fantastic to show what how non-endemic people from outside the industry can authentically come in just by listening. And mm-hmm. it is it is high effort, like we talked about, but it is high reward when that happens. And it's almost like, um, you know, if you're not going to spend that effort, don't bother. <laughs> and I think that's what we've seen with, like I said, with these conferences that have come up and have been cancelled over that period of time. Like you need to take that time. But in the end, all it is is, is hours. It's not like you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you reach out to someone on LinkedIn and you say, I've got something to offer you, they're, they're likely to reply. People in esports love to talk. They love to share information and they love to, you know, help to grow the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one yeah, of the differentials of the industry as well. People are more open and willing to discuss things uh, with people that don't understand the, the understanding industry. It's completely different from other industry. I used to work with uh, real estate and technology, so uh, people are more. They are more. Ex- they are experts, and so they are okay. If you're not an expert, maybe I won't be losing my time with you. It's different from sports industry i guess people are more willing to because they are learning as well it's new they are keen they are almost all the people that i know in sports they are really enthusiastic about the subject so they are really looking forward to keep the industry going and not lose the momentum so it's really a differential as well yeah yeah and i've always wondered about that i've always wondered whether that's a thing that will always continue because that's how esports has been for a while or whether it might whether it might fade when companies start to become bigger and more corporate we start to get more publicly listed esports companies and people making some more serious dollars that's been a really interesting one but you're right like it it's been the same since and i've used this example in the past but haven't for a while where i was i was part of these forums called starcraft 2 southeast asia which also encompassed australia and i remember a as a discussion on there where someone said, Hey, everyone, Christmas is coming up. Make sure you talk to all of your family members about esports. Maybe you've got, uh, you know, an, an uncle that, that works as a director at KPMG. Maybe you've got an aunt, an auntie that works at, at um, Domino's, you know, in marketing, go and evangelize esports, go and, go and, you know, knock on their door and tell them about it, whether they want to listen to it or not. So, you know, it's been a, a way that esports for so long has been punching up where esports is just trying trying to get people to care about them and trying to get these companies to pay attention. So usually when someone does say, yeah, I would like to listen and help and, you know, I'm a, I'm a corporate person that's that's here to advance, like people are happy to spill the beans. They're happy to yeah, give the info. Collaborate, yes. I guess, uh, I guess uh, yes. the collaboration is the word actually on this industry. I don't know how it's going to be in the future, 
uh, I really can't predict, but I think it's really original, the subject. And, uh, well, for me, it's really a passionate subject. You can't get into a sport if you don't like at least a bit of gaming. So it's really, and it, and it touches emotions as well, because for me, it was something, okay, I don't know, I don't know nothing about sports, but I used to play video games, and I really love video games, so... Well, why not? Maybe I'll learn something new. And it comes from that. It comes from the childhood passion of playing video games. So it's really passionate subjects. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I was talking to a rapper today um, called 360. He's an Australian rapper and, and he's getting into gaming and streaming. And I was telling him, I was like, it's just, it's a good time to be a gamer. Because, you know, I am I was born in 91, I'm 28. So when I grew up, it was, you know, me and, and anyone older than me, it was a terrible thing to be a nerd at school. Um, you didn't want to outlive like video games because you're an outcast, but now it's like the opposite, you know, rappers like 360 with face and neck tattoos are the coolest thing. And, and they're playing, you know, selling out concerts and also they're playing on, on Twitch and Facebook playing games together. You know, you've got like logic signing to Twitch and doing an album release, you know, T-Pain is on there. You've got, um, NBA players and you can't, you, you know, as far as coolness goes, you can't get cooler than, than rappers. So like Drake. And logic, and you can't get cooler than NBA players, and they're both investing into esports at the same time. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool, gut, pretty cool time to be a gamer. It's only getting better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think, especially and now even, that with the pandemic. Sorry, Maria, go ahead. No, no, no worries. Um, well, I, I was just trying to say that even if you're not a gamer, I mean, um, I remember these two experiences when I uh, got invited to um, one of the Inter Extreme Masters in Katowice and also um, at the finals, the law finals last year, it was mind-blowing. I, I think that this really gave me a different perspective of esports and it was an incredible way to address, uh, you know, the message to all these people that don't know anything about the, the esports space because in a way, uh, when you are new to, to esports you and you come to these events, you are celebrating not even though you are not supporting any team uh you are celebrating esports and that's so so much good and you have so much fun on it going to a big big concert or or uh, yeah full of full of uh, great people so, so so yes definitely even if you are not a gamer but you're an occasional viewer or um yeah it's it's a good way to share this passion and uh, and being enthusiastic for for the future Mm, yeah. yeah, that's okay. true. Yeah. And, I've, you know, I think it's been a common thing that myself and others have always said that, you know, if you're really trying to get a mainstream person into esports, you have to somehow drag them to an event. Because if you go to an esports event, that's when what, exactly like what you're saying, Marie, it's like, that's when it becomes real. Like, that's when it becomes something exciting. Um, you know, I don't, I don't I don't exactly know what the secret sauce is. But, you know, I guess it's part of, you know, you walk in and you see something that looks like a concert. But it's but it's live and it's nonstop. You know, if if you go to a Counter Strike event, there's like sparks and flames and confetti coming up the sides. There's like really bassy, you know, gunshots of the AK and when the bomb's being planted. There's cheers that are happening all the time. You know, there's multiple times around whenever someone gets a single kill, everybody's cheering, or they get a single gank in League of Legends, everyone's going nuts. And then you don't just get to live that once; you get to live that over and over and over and over again. And maybe it, it's also the repetition of it's not just you going to watch, you know, Manchester United play 
play against Liverpool, you're also seeing like another six teams that are all coming there and playing like one after the other after the other. And maybe it's it's partly why like a music festival is so cool because you're not just seeing one yes. artist, you're seeing like eight that you might enjoy um, yeah. or six that you really love and two that, you know, that are just exciting to you. So, you know, and I think it's like what you were saying too is that right now where esports are sitting, it, it is like a celebration of esports, whether you're following just the game whether you're following just esports or just the team or just the player, like there's those, you know, different, different levels to it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting for everyone. Yes. Need to, yes, need to find a way to, uh, to bottle that and, and to somehow present that to people <laughs> who don't want to go to it. Cause it's, cause I, I seriously, like I, I really don't know how to explain it. This cause you can show, you can show people every scissor reel, you can talk about that stuff, but there's only two things that I've ever found have worked really well. Number one is the example of, you know, I've, I've talked about this on LinkedIn. I've got a friend who's, um, you know, 23 and he's a Minecraft YouTuber and he bought a house in cash through his Minecraft ad revenue. So that's, that's one thing that makes people go, you know, holy crap, I'm double that age and don't own a house. So it must be good. Um, or two is like getting someone to an esports event, but it's just so hard that you can, you can show a hundred sizzle reels. You can show people how excited the crowd are, but until they're there and they can like feel the energy, like, yeah, it's so hard to get people across, but I've, I've had exactly this experience before where I had like this agency that um, was kind of um and ahhing, you know, they got a lot of big brands. They didn't know whether they want to get into the space or not. But, you know, they came to the Melbourne Esports Open and straight away they're like, Chris, I'm in, let's go. Like, I want to do something right now after like a year and a half of procrastination. <laughs> so it works. It's some kind of drug. It works. No, for, definitely. I guess the experience uh, of people in a competition or in a finals, it's uh, something that it's something that we want to bring to our events as well. And then we discuss this a lot. Uh, I'm going to be a, spoil, a spoiler here, but <laughs> this is something that we discuss a lot because we want to bring this experience of sports to our event as well, because we know we have a lot of endemics that are already in, that know everything. But there are people that are beginning and they, what the hell is sports? And if they don't have this experience, as you mentioned, Chris, it's, uh, it's not uh, tangible enough. And, and this makes a difference, I guess. Mm, mm. Yeah, definitely. Got to find a way to bottle that up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, with, um, so with coronavirus with you guys, obviously, you know, you, you're mainly running physical events. It's pretty much impossible now. So many countries have their border closed. Like you were explaining just before, France is kind of out of a lockdown and into a semi-lockdown. So, so what, is, what are your plans going forwards? <laughs> Maria? <laughs> Well, we plan to have our events okay. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we, we have, have a we have a lot of plans. Yes. Yes. Uh, we, we. I don't know if you have heard, but we have some local initiatives that were that were started uh, two years ago already. So, uh, we used to organize uh, local meetups. So far, we organized one in uh, Paris, in London, but also in Sao Paulo. So totally okay. open to do something in Australia, by the way. And, uh, and the idea is to get the community reunited. And for us, it's a, a great way to get content and uh, hear the problematics of a specific uh, region. It's extremely important. And this is something that we do uh, to connect everyone, to engage the community. This is free of charge. So it's, it's, it's quite a nice experience because we facilitate once again the, the experience for everyone in a more local or regional um, perspective. So this is what we do. 
And then we, we can also engage the community through uh, targeted workshops, masterclasses, and, uh, and also through our blog, right? Yeah. Yes, I guess what we are going to try to do this year is uh, keep uh, having our events, uh, even if it's digital or physical, um, but having several touch points and important touch points for the community. So when they arrive at our, the physical event that we are planning to do, uh, they have more preparation in advance, and so they can benefit more of these events. So I guess... Uh, Mainly the plan is like keeping engaged in the community. We are not going to not do nothing. We are going to be present. This is for sure. Whether it's digital or physical, local and global, we are we are going to to keep uh, enhancing and enriching the community with good content, with speakers, with masterclasses. Maria mentioned. So there are uh, edu uh, education part that we are aiming to do as well for people that are newcomers. And so when they arrive at the physical event, hopefully in the second semester of 2021, we were hoping to have our physical event and then uh, having all those people that we touched base before to come to our event to have more preparation in advance. I guess uh, this is uh, our main goal. And do you, do you see these sort but of obviously events continuing? So do you, do you see these online well, events continuing into the future, you know, with, with esports and gaming being such a such an online activity? You know, I guess part of it too is, is removal of those barriers, right? Like if you can't, if you're a small team owner and you can afford the ticket, but you can't also afford the time or the money to, to travel overseas to, to come to Miami or, or, or France. Yes, I guess uh, a hybrid situation would be ideal. Yes, I guess it's something that we are aiming. Uh, as for sports itself, uh, the competitions that went uh, online that they couldn't happen uh, live anymore, uh, they find a way to do it online. They did it good. I guess for us, it's the same. I guess uh, for us, it's not a, it uh, came up with a precedent that we can't ignore anymore. So we have just to adapt and find a good format to have both. And uh, both that whether when we can to have a physical event, but when we can't have a physical event, or even if we can, but uh, touching more people uh, online, it would be ideal for us. So yes, I guess the, the digital experience that uh, provides us as well to get to places and to people that we couldn't because they can't travel or they, the budget is not compatible to the event. But if we find a digital solution that we can't uh, touch those people, yes, for us it's really important to do those uh, hybrid, hybrid solutions, yes. Mm. I, I can Can't actually add, add that, uh, yeah, yeah so, so it's a good complement nowadays. Um, so we, we, we are definitely looking forward to reunite the whole community physically, uh, and we will, we will try to do that uh, next year uh, but we will definitely need to find a, a good balance uh, between these physical events and also uh, uh, this complement or this digital complement but I guess that again the the main thing is to try to get close as much as possible with our community because they are also traveling to to meet with people in person right so th this is what we are we are this is what is in progress there's a lot of ideas that we are going to implement to to make this like online experience, this digital experience uh, to create it with more value.
because that's I think that we, we are lacking of, 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 of some features of some uh, and it doesn't have to be too much elaborated because innovation is not about putting something extremely new but you can really adapt something that already exists and, and that really match with people's needs. So yes, definitely a lot of things that are going to happen that we cannot share now, but of course uh, we'll be gladly um, to, to, to share in the future. And, and what's the response been um, around, you know, due to the rise in coronavirus for brands? Are you seeing more brands interested in coming to Esports Bar because of that? Are you seeing like more revenue come through or potential sponsors with, with you guys as well? Yes, yes, especially uh, from the media side, te uh, big telecoms, for example, companies, they are coming more and more okay. and, and see what, what to do in the space and brands, we have been, we have multiplied the number of, of non-endemic companies coming uh, to our events. So global groups are, that really are looking to do something serious in esports. Of course, they are not in an advanced level in much of the times, but we, yeah, we, we keep this connection and we help them from the moment they get on board. And it's totally, it's not about one shot. They really engage themselves from one or even two years. They've been coming. Yeah, okay. I, we can see yeah. there are so many examples. Like, for example, Porsche. Porsche, they started with us in 2017. And look at them now. They have a league. Um, so, so, so yes, uh, we have been uh, helping these people to integrate their brand, uh, and and esports bar uh, really contributed a lot um, to that. Yeah, that's interesting because that was going to be my next question. Was yeah, do you do you have a way or have you tracked you know those those kind of brands that have come you know to esports bar for the first time, shown some interest, and then come into the market? I guess anyone, um, I mean everybody who's watching this on LinkedIn is, is followed me on there, and you you'll notice that we post a lot of case studies on our platform as well. That, that sounds like an awesome case study to follow that journey to to go to a non endemic brand and say, okay, what was your first exposure? to esports and that's and that's usually the question I ask a lot of the time talking to mainstream brands which is why are you here why are you talking to me and it's always interesting the answers you get sometimes it's the the boss's son plays video games and said we have to do it uh actually that's the answer a lot of the time usually it's the boss says I have to look at what this is and I have no idea but I'd be really interested to see some case studies from you guys do you, do you have any other examples besides Porsche of brands that have have you know first been exposed yes. to esports for esports bar yeah, we have several. For example, I remember Domino's Pizza of Malaysia. Uh, the president of Domino's Pizza came to Esports Bar in 2018. And they okay. uh, just after that, they did a, a summit to the whole group in the Southeast Asia. And he truly told them that he was going to implement a department dedicated to esports. That was amazing. So we thought that this was going to last and we should continue to address to these people. It's not easy. It's not an easy task. We have a lot of people that helps us to do that. But yeah, people come to our events because they see more and more uh, non-endemics, especially brands coming on board. But we can also mention, uh, I don't know, um, Daimler, for example, or um, who else? Uh, I don't know, I don't have in mind right now, but there are so many, so many brands that... Um, have um, yeah attended the event and and they you know they just catch up with someone and then catch up with another one and then it turns out that this was something that could uh, yeah result for them because uh, that's the hardest part to to uh, really fit with your brand your image and uh, and actually having this platform 
that can help them to have different perspectives and meet with different people, help them to know whether what will be the right um, path to, to take. We can see I'm, I'm taking some notes. Else yeah, yeah, as you probably see, I'm taking some notes right now. I'm going to make a case study about that Domino's one. I think that's awesome. I think that's a perfect perfect example of, of someone kind of coming into that space and really getting, you know, swept up in into the whole esports thing. Yeah, and one of the other questions I want to ask you as well um, that, that I talk about so much in content is gaming versus esports. So obviously your esports bar um, and my company is big esports, but you know we make majority of our revenue and majority of our clients really from gaming, not not so much from esports. You know we yeah. work with uh, Unicorn doing influencer work and Nvidia. You know a lot of these other projects that we're working on that we talked about pre-recording. That's all pretty much gaming, not so much esports. So I'd love to I'd love to learn from you two things. One, how do you educate? the brands coming kind of like what is gaming and, and what is esports because everybody's confused. I think mainly due to the media and esports being a buzzword, but two, like where's the distinction for you? Are you still running um, panels and speeches on, you know, talent like Dr. Disrespects and, and, and Lupo and Ninja and, and how they're funding things? Or are you kind of one track mind specifically just trying to go into that hardcore esports market with League of legends and teams like team liquid, et cetera? Uh, I guess uh, for us, uh, G is a is a touchy subject for us as well. Well, as you as you said, uh, we are our <laughs> our core is sports, so we are we are focusing on sports. Uh, of course, uh, we can't uh, we can't talk about sports without talking about gaming. Uh, the differentiation for me is like, well, is a competitive game or is not a competitive game? This is the differentiation of sports and or not sports. Mm. Uh, for for the people that come to our events, I guess they have uh, the the newcomers. I don't think they have this distinction on their heads. They know that they have big audiences that they can benefit for sponsoring something and have a good revenue for that. Uh, besides that, I don't think they have this clarity where is the silver lining, where is the line between gaming or sports. And I guess one of our, uh, not obligations, but uh, our role as well is to explain how you can have games. And this is like, uh, there are some other events that you can come and you can discuss gaming. And you have sports and uh, here we, what is, we can provide you regarding sports and where you can put your money, where you can invest, whether your brand is going to be successful on that or not. So, and the relationships that you're going to do, they are related to sports, even though we know that the game is always behind. It's like talking about sports and not talking about entertainment. And we see more music coming in as well and media. So uh, all this in the entertainment industry, they are really... They are really connected stuff, but uh, our core business is keep is still is is still a sport. So, mm. yeah, that makes sense, and it's it's something that yes, and I, I guess mean, that, I, uh, are you sorry, Maria? You go. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So um, I guess that yes, the, the the great majority of people of newcomers they don't have this specific ideas on, on their on their heads, right? So the idea is to mm. provide them with as much information as possible when it comes to education, and uh, we don't really tell them what to do, right? They are the ones to meet with each other on our platform, help them to decide whether they would like to go to that game or to find the. the uh, 
um, innovative ways to interact with esports, but also in the gaming industry. Because uh, yes, the the, the the frontier is quite uh, small, and uh, um, and we see entertainment on it, right? So um, uh, what we still are looking into is to have more synergy with with the groups, and and actually our group is is working in the gaming industry. So the PAX events, for example, they are uh, organized around the world. So um, this is also some ways of collaborations that we are starting to, to, to do at eSports Bar and we're definitely looking forward to expand a bit more because indeed, as you said, uh, we can't really separate uh, too much both. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I'm trying to think about like what my answer would be while you were both answering. It's like, do you do you make um, influencer bar? Do you make game developer bar? Um, because they are all intertwined in some way. Like how yeah. do you make a game in eSport? You know, yes. that's that's definitely a very valid question. You know, we're working with a with a mobile title right now that wants to add an esports component. And you know, the the mobile title, if I told you what it was, you'd go, There's no way that, that could be esports. But maybe because esports really is just a structured competitive nature of play. Candy Crush could be esports, Tetris is esports, Donkey Kong is exactly. is kind of esports, really. That they've got high scores and competitions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's always hard. And it's almost like and then I was trying to use the influencer example, but but in my mind, like gaming influences are completely different to any other industry sort of influences. They don't they don't function the same way whatsoever because the the vehicle of content creation being live streaming on Twitch is just wildly different to any other one. I think there's a lot of similarities between a fitness influencer and a makeup influencer, for example, but there's not many similarities um, in the operation and the way the sponsors and the industry work between, you know, a doctor disrespect and, and a fitness influencer, for example, very different ways of creating content, very different ways of engaging with the audience, very different ways of, of having to, um, you know, produce and, and deliver sponsorship and things like that too. And yeah, sure. The lines can be a bit, bit blurry like you know phase have a lot of content uh-huh. creators who are very fit and doing a lot of fighting and things yes. like that and you know you've got pasha biceps in, in csgo who's you know who's, who's got massive biceps and things like that too but still it's um it's so different so yeah the, the question always is where where do you draw the line and that that was a question that i asked in some yeah. of the content we did recently is like you know i asked people not not as a kind of as a rhetorical question like is ninja esports like he used to play and, and he will often play in competitions, generally for charity, but he will play in competitions. So in a very loose terminology, maybe, because he's playing for cash in, in tournaments, yeah. but not really because it's not really his distinction. He's primarily an entertainer. So, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one uh, to me. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess uh, the, the, the markets of entertainment, they are really all connected. So it's really hard to, to trace, actually, to, to establish a division between what is one thing and what is another. And, but I have one question for you, Chris, if I can. Sure. Do you think esports enhance the gaming community, enhance uh, enriched and, and enlarged, actually, the gaming industry? Yeah, for sure. I, I had a, a short discussion with someone recently about how Formula One helps to develop technology for traditional cars. So from my understanding, the paddle shift that you get on all like Mercedes AMGs that influencers love to drive, that that is is coming down from paddle shifting in Formula One. So, you know, in, in a way it does that. And I think through a lot of the content that we've done talking directly to game developers and, and people who run, say, tournaments, esports is often a loss leader. Um, and a marketing strategy for video games to get people into it. 
So it's almost like it's almost like it's the opposite to how traditional sports works. It's almost like imagine if the MLB was a marketing ploy to get people into little leagues, which is funny because it's it's complete mm-hmm. opposite, you know, in, in esports versus traditional sport. But I definitely think so because it, whether whether people are ever going to be professional or not, they still need something to aspire to. Like how many people who watch the UFC actually participate in combat sports? You know, I, I do a bit of jiu-jitsu, but I am nowhere near a competitive athlete. Um, but I love to watch the UFC. Um, but, you know, every now and then you watch it and you go, man, like maybe I should pick up a kickboxing class. And I remember I love my brain and I don't want to get rattled, so maybe not. Um, but, you know, similar with esports as well that, you know, while, um, you know, I talked to Todd Citron, the GM of competitive gaming at EA, you know, and, and he said the same thing. You know, it's, it's a loss leader for them, but their aim is to make it a standalone profitable product into the future. And there's only really one case of that directly profitable, which is the Dota 2 International, which is just an absolute mm-hmm. money printing machine for themselves. But I know at least on a personal level that marketing plan works because I used to play a little bit of Heroes of New Earth. I used to play League of Legends like way back before they even had ranks um, when it was quite new. But I never really played Dota because the game was too hard to get into. The, the entry skill level is just impossible for dota league's a little bit more friendly but after the international 2013 i watched that and i've been playing dota 2 ever since i dumped league of legends straight away because yeah. i love the tournament i love that there was 1.6 million dollars or, or more in the prize pool i love the storylines you know i really enjoyed the production i really enjoyed that there was um you know a week f- full of just content non-stop of all these teams playing like you know dawn to dusk every single day you know i love the cheering crowd and ever since then i've been playing dota 2 so i do know that 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 marketing plan works for me so i think you're right and i would like to think that esports drives um technology innovation going down because you've seen from um around 2018 time it's when every brand stopped talking non-stop about vr and started talking about esports so like AMD, when they released their um, RX series cards for the first time, and they also released their um, Ryzen CPUs, all of their um, presentations were just about esports, esports, esports. Because previously, you know, working at Corsair and Thermaltake, everything was about VR, VR, VR. And me as an esports person, I don't care about VR, like as a, as a user. Um, and then you've seen that kind of go forwards now too. All these peripheral releases, they're making mice. There's, a, there's been a war for the past year to make every mouse lighter. They've got more holes cut in them. They all weigh less. And that's all because, you know, it's in their belief that that makes it better for esports and things like that too. So, you know, I would like to think that like F1, you know, esports drives technology innovation, but also like you were alluding to Deborah, like it really drives their storylines. It gives people something to aspire to. It gives people professionals to follow, you know, and people love to follow people who are better than them at things they enjoy casually. It's why they follow professional golfers. It's why they follow NFL players. It's why they follow <laughs> fitness influencers. And I think it's why they follow esports players too. Yeah. What do you think? Great. You feel so passionate. I think, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think I, I think it really became uh, the scene of gaming more, uh, maybe not more interested, interesting, but uh, it, it moved a lot uh, the gaming industry. So I guess uh, we see more content being developed around that. So uh, I don't know if you saw, but the Netflix released a documentary on gaming. So I guess uh, yeah. this is 
some way due to the sports industry that is uh, movementing and uh, making the industry really uh, blow up. Uh, so it's really, I think there is, a, um, I, I can't say for sure, but I think there is a cause consequence uh, uh, factor in this, uh, in this thing. I think sports really made the, the gaming industry more uh, active. Yeah, yeah, it's like and, a, and, it's a pay And what you said just before, yeah, what, sorry, you hear me? Yeah, 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 go for it. So what, what you said just before that esports drives um, technology and we see this um, through the whole value chain. You know, so uh, we have seen more and more uh, technology around team management and um, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the production of new games and uh, and uh, tournament organizations. And uh, you have all this integrated into esports that makes esports more um, uh, more fun, even more fun and accessible to everyone. So uh, definitely, yes, it's uh, it's a great marketing tool for gaming and uh and uh, it's looking, uh, yeah, it's looking, uh, it's looking good for the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it, and I think it's, I think it's fine to, to sit as that loss leader a lot of the times. But you know, while these you know publishers have it sitting there, they are looking at ways to make it like directly profitable. And it, yeah, and I think it's important that you said too about that. You know, driving the what do they call it? The, some of the investors that talk to like the picks and shovels behind the industry. You know, how do you develop um, what I often call like the unsexy companies, the ones that aren't making, you know, that aren't that aren't making millions of uh, subscribers on YouTube, that aren't the face of all the PR, but the companies like I'll be highlighting soon in some of our content, like Tipulti, who do payment processing for like Roblox and Epic Games. You know, they're moving well, judging by how much those kind of companies make, they've got to be moving billions of dollars a year. But I'd never heard of them until not too long ago. Um, and like Exola as well. You know, if anyone's ever done a Twitch subscription before, you've got an email from Exola. Like, who the hell are they? Like, you know, they're not in the, they're not in the mainstream press. They're not the, the companies that are highlighted. But I think these kind of ones too are very important in the back end. And then you're seeing even AI, you know, you're seeing the, the Dota 2 and the name um, escapes me, but, you know, the AI team in Dota 2 that's now playing against and beating uh, professional Dota 2 teams which is scary but um but interesting it is so right for sure and i guess you know one other thing that um i've talked to you uh both about outside of this and, and wanted to talk about it on here as well just as around um the promotion of, of women in esports as well so like a personal problem that i've talked to you about is I've got a sports tech conference upcoming, you know, and, and they would love to see a balance of gender diversity on the panel as with so many other panels I've done before, but it's always so hard for me to find women who, you know, want to speak and, and want to appear on that as well. So, so with you two as well, being women in the esports industry, I'd love for you to learn about what's that journey been like in, in creation of your own conference? Um, how do you overcome some of those hurdles as well? And, you know, do you have like a, like a list or something like that, that, that people like myself and others can, can contact, or do we just contact you directly to ask for suggestions? Like how, how? I guess, uh, yes, I, I, I answer to you. That is, uh, this, uh, $1 million question because it's uh, even for us, uh, 
we, we know that they are there. Uh, we have been contacting a lot of associations of women in gaming, women in sports, women in traditional sports to get a broader view of who are those women that are willing actually to come out and speak. We know that they exist. Uh, we have uh, quite a few examples that comes to our events that uh, make part of our advisor board. But I guess there is, um, as for any other industry as well, women tend to stay in the back ground in the backs of the scene so i don't know if the few women that they have they are so busy that they can find a, a schedule to to be part of every conference that are, they are invited but i think there are more women that can put themselves out there and share their their stories because i'm sure they will be inspiring and for for me as a, as a conference and content manager as well it's difficult to find those women to find uh, the right person to the right subject and it's not only about having women talking about it but it's having to the right women talking about the right subject and being inspiring and uh, making part of a larger group so that's why i'm contacting a lot of associations of women in sports uh, to get to know more of these women and get to know more or the background, the history of the women that work in this part. Maybe it's not a level, it's not a VP of some company, but it can be a manager that has something interesting to share. So for me, it's just getting to know those people. And I know they're now more than ever, the associations, they are coming together and they are really useful. So one thing that I would advise you, Chris, is get to get closer to those associations. And of course, yes, we do have a list of women that we want to bring to our event or they, they already spoke in our event. But yes, we build all these lists to keep and we can recommend to you if you like some specific subjects around it. Yeah, fantastic. What, what about you, Maria? Yeah, so in the opposite, um, I think that in this change in times, we see more women taking the lead and sharing their experiences. So as Deborah mentioned, some that some people that came to my mind uh, are the ladies, the powerful ladies that are part of our advisory board. So Mari Carmen Fernandez, who's spearheading esports and innovation for Media Pro Group. A, a, a traditional group in the media sector, or uh, Wendy Lecott from HyperX, or uh, some other people uh, like uh, Johanna Faris, or Nicole Lapointe, or Angela Natividad. The list, the list it, it starts to be longer, uh, but yes, uh, there's still work to be done to shift old paradigm. And uh, but I think we are moving in the right direction, and we see that when these ladies take this stage, whatever they come to esports bar or other events, we see their empowerment. Uh, they sh they are sharing more and more the right message, and this is definitely contributing to uh, developing more and uh, and uh, for future generations, uh, it's extremely inspiring. So now, in my opinion, uh, maybe these ladies are are less exposed but we we are we need to be there to empower them also and to share uh, all the information we are we are always sharing with deborah whenever we see someone taking the stage yeah. we quickly um try to get uh, as more as much information as possible so that these people can contribute also either to our other events or to other events uh, yeah 
Mm. And there, there is this topic as well. Maybe there are not women, uh, maybe for, for me, for instance, when I'm searching for someone, it can be really someone that is not really into the sports industry, but has a background on entertainment or media or things like that, that can really help uh, the industry. So it's not only women only in sports, but maybe it can have like women all over the place that are willing to share their background on marketing or media or things like that, that can uh, can have a good match with sports because uh, that's what we, we talked about before. The industry, the segments are really, really close. So you can find a lot of great people in other segments that can uh, help sports uh, with uh, their insights, actually. Mm, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, there was a, and because I'm terrible with names, I can't remember her name, but I can see her face. But there was a there was a lady who spoke at um, the EGAA conference in Australia back in 2018. And the thing that I liked the most about her was um, she runs a lot of, of different um, companies in male-dominated sports. So she runs like Ladies Who League, like Rugby League. So obviously Rugby League is, is definitely a male-dominated um, sport and industry. And my favorite quote from her was, "You can't you can't be what you can't see. And I always thought that was powerful, but always trying to balance like what you were saying, Deborah, is finding the right person. I don't want to put someone on a panel to be the token woman. I don't want to put someone on the panel to be the token exactly. African-American, to be the token Asian, any, token anything at all. I want someone to be there through the merit of their hard work in the industry and through the, the challenges that they've faced and, and through the information they have. And I know there's got to be some out there, but sometimes I've, I've you know talked to some friends and they've had that fatigue where they've said, I'm sick of being the, the woman on the panel. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't, I don't represent all women. So sometimes it's been really hard for me to be like, okay, I want to, I want to help as a, as a voice in this industry to lead effective change, but what do I do? And every time I look at, you know, people are talking about, yeah, we need to do better. And I'm like, okay, but, but how (laughs) someone, someone help me feed me, spoon feed me some information or something. So. Yeah, I guess maybe we should yeah. just uh, try different people because that's uh, that's the interesting, as you mentioned as well. Uh, conferences they tend to have all the same names, the same people all over the place. So uh, for us, it's really this uh, this is a challenge as well. How we can bring new faces uh, of the industry that are good and that are really good and they have something to add. So of course, the experts they will will always be. Uh, asked to to talk of course but it is important to renew to have new faces new ideas and inspiring ideas and this comes from women as well so this is something that we always try and we try to be really careful because uh, i guess uh, having a gender balance is really important not only gender but race and uh, having a diversity of backgrounds but also people that are going to be inspiring hmm. Do you have Do you have anything to add there at all, Maria? Well, I think I'm 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 thinking of inspiration uh, because sometimes uh, we look too far, actually, and the inspiration is everywhere. Wherever you look around, uh, from the moment you speak to someone and you are open to receive knowledge from that person you are talking with, regardless to his or her age, social status, or background, you are definitely expanding. Uh, your your knowledge and your vision of, of things and you are inclusive as a result so mm. um, maybe we should uh, look more around us and as you said before we have some friends some family and, and people that are willing to share things we just have to ask 
and and try to do more research too. Maybe it's just around the corner and we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, and I think for for anyone who's thinking about um you know, I guess the diversity and stuff, especially if you're a very numbers focused person, you know, there's been a lot of studies that, that have proven that, you know, the, the better you can balance diversity, the better a business does in its bottom line. So it's not even just about the vanity metric of, yeah, we want 50% men and women to sit on a panel because then we can say we're diverse. It, you can also say that, well, the studies show that you're going to make more money and you're going to be more successful if you just spend that bit of extra effort. And once again, exactly. maybe what we're talking about is the same as esports bar right at the start of the, this talk, which is high effort, high reward. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to see. I know. I know there are some other companies working on some initiatives as well. I've been approached by um, an esports team who's working on some ones too. But I'd love to get your opinion on um, something that I ran. Uh, probably back in 2018 now, I think. So one of the ways, one, one of the things that I found through some of my research was a lot of the women I talked to said that they just didn't feel comfortable making a start in the industry. They felt like the, the ceiling, like I said, with Dota 2, the ceiling is just too high to even start to get into there. So what I did was I ran um, some free talks which um, were basically, I was the host, but I didn't say anything at all. And I had one woman who's done a lot of stuff in the industry and I had about 20 women or so that would come to watch them. And I was hoping that that would be a catalyst to say, once again, like I said, that you can't be what you can't see. And I got a lot of good feedback from the women in there saying that, okay, now I've seen someone who's done it. I feel like I can do it too. Are there any, are there any initiatives in the space you've seen that are, you know, maybe similar or not to that or, or any other initiatives you've seen that, that if any women are watching this, um, they're interested in getting into the space, any, any resources that they can start out with? Not many from my side. No, yeah. Not that and I can recall. Something that we, we should... It's something that we should definitely develop, and uh, it's good for everyone, for the business, for to bring more innovation too, right? Uh, but it's a great way to integrate everyone, regardless, as I said before, uh, their background. And when you see that leading people started from zero and they are actually somewhere in the uh, in esports or even in the uh, from a business perspective, then you can really say to yourself that it's not that hard, it's not impossible, right? So I think that we should um, in, implement and increase the number of, of gatherings, of masterclasses and workshops to try to uh, bring these people on board. And, and not only women, I think that we should get on board also men and, and, and other people able to share their ideas from other segments too. So we are, we are planning to do some of them. We will be definitely okay. delighted to to work with you on that because I think that this is something that we should do in parallel and more uh, from our our established initiatives uh, like eSports Bar, and it and it's in our plans. Yeah. And one, like one way that I tried to see it is kind of like, um, you know, equality of opportunity. So if you, like you're in Australia and you grow up, um, you know, way out of the city in the country, you will often get some extra support, whether that be some sort of financial aid, whether that be a lowering of the entrance requirement or such to get into a university course, because they understand that, that growing out, you know, growing up somewhere so far away, you probably don't have access to good internet. You probably don't access have access to high schooling infrastructure because, you know, in some places in Australia, um, you live 500 kilometers away from your neighbor. 
So it's a little bit hard for you to, you know, build a study group or even go to a school <laughs> and things like that. And I've always wondered whether that's something that could come into, you know, this male-dominated industry of esports. Is there some way that, that creates that equal opportunity, which doesn't say, you know, yes, you know, women and, and, and other minority groups, you're going to be gifted a free seat on the board or something like that. But is it's, yes, we understand that you often have a harder path to get into the space. You don't have as many role models to look towards. Um, and, you know, the, the path as a whole might be a lot harder for you. So here are some ways that we can up lift you here's some ways yeah. you can get some information here's some ways that you can then become on an equal footing to everybody else yeah i saw well uh, the women in sports association uh, sports and tech association uh, they are doing a really nice program with the young women that want to get into gaming or sports so traditional sports and esports so they have a fellowship uh, program of fellowship so they develop people they they mentor these young girls that want to work in the industry so i guess this is this those are the kinds of initiatives that we need as well so how we can foment the younger generation to the young women uh, generation to come forward more quickly actually and I guess we, we see that with uh, young uh, women players with players uh, like Scarlett and things like that so people that, uh, that are really out there and they are ha having a huge success I just wish they could uh, speak more about their, uh, their background and their path to young generations, but I guess uh, fomenting actually the young generations is a key subject as well. Mm. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I would love to participate as a mentor in something like that. I think that'd be good. I'm happy to, you know, talk to talk to some groups for free, you know, over a series of time yeah. to give some of that information on how to get yeah. into the industry. You know, I've, and I think that. I think that's one, I mean, I think that's one barrier that, that maybe esports bar could work on because obviously, you know, you guys are great mm -hmm. at breaking down those barriers between those different areas is, you know, like you were saying, you want to be like that centerpiece. You want to bring people together. You want to be able to give people mm -hmm. access to corporates that they wouldn't normally get. And maybe that mentorship is is something that esports bar can champion, which is, yeah. you know, a women in esports bar thing. And, you know, I'd be happy to, to do some some mentoring and, and stuff for the, on there because I think for a long time too, when I was getting into the esports industry, I was always looking for a mentor and usually they say you know get someone who's where you want to be in five to ten years and I was like there's no one in esports that's been here for five to ten years and also I don't really know what I want to do like I ended up making my own job a lot of the times you know there wasn't like my position at Corsair I was the first person in Australia my position at Thermaltake I was the first person there so it's not like I could go and talk to someone who's done that before it's impossible but now I feel like I'm in that position um, you know I have a um, kind of a duty I guess to help to you know explain to people you know how you can kind of make it you know go on yourself as well and i talk i don't know my girlfriend hates this i talk to her about it all the time too it's like you know go and go and do a job that you like um i know i know anybody can because i did <laughs> and if i can do it you know growing up in a in a small low socioeconomic town in, in um, devonport tasmania they only had thirty thousand people went to a public school um you know had terrible internet like i'm sure other people can too so it's like how can i help people to to go and do yeah, that? of course yeah of course and this is uh is this is sharing ideas and this is the most important thing of all Yes, no, I'm sure it's uh, it's one of our plans as well to not only create uh, more mentoring programs, but creating forums for for women and diversity and things like that of own sports bar. I guess uh, for next year we are going to incorporate other topics in our 
program as well that we'll discuss uh, not only that but uh, more society matters like uh, mental health situations how to improve performance uh, education and things like that that, uh, that are more related to society not as related to business as we usually do but that are as important as the other topics do we look now we got Especially Did you have something to add right yep well, especially nowadays that we are facing so uh, so much challenges around in society, it's super important to keep this these subjects in mind uh, for the future and uh, and yes to 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 address the right message and to expand our knowledge and as I mentioned before, we shouldn't look too far because sometimes this is why you know when people ask you look for someone who you will see you you in five years or ten years and then you say okay. To who? <laughs> but sometimes uh, you can find inspiration and mentorship around you. And this is a good way to, to start. And then, of course, addressing the right message and the right topics to start with. And uh, mental health, uh, psychology, and uh, fair play, and diversity and inclusion are extremely important to uh, for the free flow of new ideas, definitely. So it's super important to keep this in mind and uh, yes, in, in every level. Mm. And, you know, on, a, on a, uh, a selfish point, I guess, to finish that off, I spoke to a um, health insurer today that wants more information on how service companies can enter into the esports market. Cause I realized exactly. that I was an idiot during our meeting and I talked all the time about, um, you know, clothing companies and other people that have direct points of sale. And, you know, I could see the, the I don't think it was frustration on their face, but they'll probably be like, what's this guy talking about? Like we don't sell clothes. <laughs> and they were like, do you have any examples? So the closest I had for them off the top of my head was DHL, but I think it would be very interesting to yes. see more about that and, and more about, um, I guess what you could say, the slow burn, because a lot of my content has really been focused on, you know, how many jerseys uh, or pieces of of items that FaZe can sell in one go, you know, how many views uh, certain content creators and influencers might get. But I'd be really interested in seeing those, those long-term effects of, you know, DHL getting into the space. Do, do they get into there for specific reasons? And I think another, like another fantastic case study for me would be corporates, you know, like a a long time sponsor of the UFC that I saw in the Octagon was Hudson shipping lines. It's like why the initial question is why the hell would a shipping company be sponsoring MMA? Um, Very similar to a recent sponsor. Oh, I think I dropped out. I dropped out this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all back. Yeah, sorry, the finishing line of thought, um, one of the other companies that I saw really recently was a, was a respirator company. And you go to their website and they're very hardcore targeted at the military and selling directly. They do sell to the public, but most of their marketing is around militaries. And they would obviously understand that a lot of military people, I assume, are interested in mixed martial arts in the UFC. So I'd love to see some of that stuff about, about esports too, but those long-term effects, those corporate effects, you know, why do people own corporate boxes at stadiums? You know, it's not to watch the, it's not to watch the football. It's generally to get business done in the corporate box and to show yes. off and things like that. Yeah. So I'd love to mm-hmm. see some of those things in esports too. Yes, for sure. And, uh, for me, it's like right. the banking industry. I have a background in finance uh, for a couple of years and I I always wonder when the banking industry are going to step in and get into sports and bankerize the young generations or create products for this young generation that are making a fortune. So... 
Yeah. Yeah, that is true. That is true. So <laughs> I've had, I've had both your attention for, for quite some time now, but, but for you, um, we'll start with Maria. Where's the best place for people to connect with you online if they'd like to chat or follow you? Oh, well, they can reach out to me through LinkedIn or drop an email. I'm pretty accessible actually. Yeah. Fantastic. Like and for LinkedIn, you, Deborah? LinkedIn works very well. <laughs> I guess for me, it's LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm, I'm always connected. So, or Facebook. I have all social media. So, anywhere uh, as a marketing person, I have to be on that. <laughs> so, but uh, mostly LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I, I respond and I'm always connected. Yes. Yeah, fantastic. And for anyone listening, you know, whether you're uh, watching live or, or listening later now, we'll, we'll have all the links in the description so you can click through um, because I apologize, you know, I have trouble spelling your name as well, Maria. So I'm sure other people, if you read it out, no worries. Right, it's, part of, it's right. part of the digital world. All good. Exactly. I mean, they invented copy paste for a reason, right? I use yes, it an unbelievably exactly. large amount of times. <laughs> now, now that I'm starting to do a lot of work with people in Latin America as well, there's a lot of copy pasting happening in my life. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for having thank us. You. And uh, you, I hope to talk to you thank soon. You. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. And, and thanks to everyone who's who's tuned in. So whether you're listening uh, live now on LinkedIn uh, or through Twitch, whether you're watching the video or listening to audio only podcasts, once again, we've got podcasts coming out every week. At this stage, we're releasing them every Thursday. Our last episode uh, was probably one of my favorite thus far was with Jeff Pabs from Phase, the second time the Chief Revenue Officer has been on board. So we talked about some things, including them selling $3 million worth of merchandise in a single drop. So if you're interested in some of the numbers, go back and have a listen. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you.